As I said last week, September is our month of invitation where we will uh, be designing it for in, to invite friends. We have Rise Against Hunger. We have Wednesday nights coming back. Uh, we have all these different things. And we're also doing a sermon series called Finding Peace With. We even have an ad right now running throughout September on social media. Maybe some of you have seen it where it's a video to invite people to come and, and hear what we're going to be talking about, which is how do we find peace in the midst of, not freedom from necessarily, but find peace with God in the midst of our anxiety. A lot of people struggle with anxiety, especially the past year, right? The most anxious times of our lives have been going on. What does God's word have to say to us about that, about being with God in the midst of difficult seasons of life in the world? Finding peace with our finances, finding peace with our past, our future, and of course, finding peace with God. And to come and invite and hear what, what it's going to be an exciting sermon series. So we invite you, invite others to come and be a part of that. So that's why this last Sunday and this Sunday is just a brief little thing I'm doing called the Power of Invitation, where we're showing how uh, we can do more than we think we can, and that through simple offerings, we're scattering seed as a sower out into the world. We're trusting God for the results. But God asks us to be faithful and loving to others uh, when we do that. And so last week we heard how uh, we are called to love through our relationships, that it's only really through physical relationships that love can be communicated. Uh, You can communicate great things through your phone, but deep, deep love and affection is harder to do. Sometimes it's only through these connections that only you have, maybe someone you know, that one person to be praying for could be that person that you could share the love of Jesus with. So we all have those relationships, those connections that we all share. Who is called to go? Well, all believers are called to go. Jesus commands us in the great commission to go and preach the gospel. Now, the word preach could freak you out. He's not calling you to stand on a street corner and and do that sort of thing, maybe. He's just saying communicate the gospel. Leverage whatever you have to point people to Jesus, whatever that is in your life. Uh, and we're called to go into the whole world. And God's primary way to reach people is through people. Indeed, as Romans 10, 14 says, how will they hear unless someone tells them? How would you have heard if no one had ever told you if you're a believer here today? And so then today I'm just gonna look at when. Well, when do we share the good news? When? Well, 1 Peter 3 tells us to be ready at all times, to be ready to have, you know, Jesus would say, keep your lamp lit, keep the oil filled, you know, be ready, willing, open to whatever circumstance he could put you in and, and be ready. First Peter 3 says this, instead worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. When I worked at the library at UNC Asheville in college, there was a guy I worked with uh, named Hunter, and uh, over time, he just sort of could tell me there's something different about my life, and one day out of the blue, we're shelving books, getting paid five fifteen an hour. I'm shelving books with Hunter, and Hunter says, you know, you and your friends, there's something different about you guys. Oh, oh, here we go. There's something different about you guys, and I had an opportunity to say, well, this is where our hope is, and you know, it was just scattering a seed. The pastor, Greg Laurie, in Southern California, he tells a great story about being ready at all times to share your hope, where he said he went into a restaurant uh, near his church in Riverside, California. Now, guys, guys know this. When you go into a restroom, uh, we have, we're very transactional. Uh, you go in, you go out. 
when you're a lady of sin called a urinal, I know I'm getting kind of crass in church, but when you're standing there, you do not speak to the person next to you. Unless they're your brother or blood relative, you do not look at them or talk to them, right? We're in, we're out. He said, I went into the restroom, I sat down in the stall, I closed the door, I'm sitting. As I'm sitting there, I hear a voice through the wall. And the voice says, hey, do you have what I need? (laughs) Pastor Lori said, well, I don't know. What am I supposed to have that you need? Drugs. He said, well, friend, I don't have drugs, but I do have something to offer you. I have life in Jesus I could offer you right now. He's sitting on the toilet. And the guy said, oh, I've I tried that out before. I went to a church, and it just didn't stick with me. And he said, the little pastor, Lori, said, well, what church did you go to? He said, oh, it was called... Harvest Christian Fellowship, right around the corner. Pastor Lori said, well, friend, I'm the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship. So there was a long pause through the wall, and the man quietly said, oh, no. He said, friend, God must love you a lot, because he sent your pastor to talk to you during a drug deal. He said, look, let's get out of here and we can talk outside. He said he was the easy one to spot because he was the guilty one looking. And they had a prayer together. But, you know, always be ready to share the hope you have. You never know when you could be put in that sort of situation. But, you know, be ready and willing. It's almost like improv. You have to be ready to think on your feet. The message is the same, but the the medium uh, could change. When I was in college, my first two years of college, you know, like a lot of 18 to 22-year-olds, 20, let's just say it's harder, those years of life are harder many times than high school years because there's no more bubble. You're responsible for what you do and don't do. It's all you, right? It's hard. No one ever talks to you about that. And so the first two years of college, I wasn't like going to church a whole lot. I had friends who did. They'd invited me, and I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. And so I was doing this sort of typical college thing. And then, so I was, you know, hanging out with certain groups of people, and then after my sophomore year, I had a conversion experience with Christ, and it changed my life. And, and then when I went back to school my junior year, I didn't hang out with those people anymore, not because I didn't lo- love them, but just because I didn't want to do what they were doing anymore, you know? And so uh, I had classes with this girl who was a good friend of mine my first two years, and then the last two years, we still had the, we were in the same major. So one night, junior year, we're walking across campus to go to an art class we had together, and we were still really good friends. She was a really cool person. I really liked her a lot. But she was still really mixed up and doing all these things that I used to do and, and uh, didn't do anymore. And I never talked to her about my faith at all. I just didn't do it, but she just knew somehow. So we're walking along, and it was one of those lulls in the conversation. And you could tell she was thinking. And she said, I'll never forget this. She said, Clark, aren't you supposed to hate me? And I appreciated her honesty because she was looking at me as a stereotypical Christian person and thinking... Oh, he's holier than thou, and he's supposed to, to look down on me now. And I said, Andrea, if I said I hated you, I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world. I'm no better than you are. And then I had an opportunity. The door was open. I had an opportunity to share with her what had happened to me. And I had other friends that would do, like Hunter in the library for five to 15 an hour, things like that. They would say, how did you, how did you stop smoking weed? 
how did you quit doing all that stuff? I'd say, it's not me. It was what God did for me. And I want to, the same thing can happen to you if you'll be open to it. So always be ready to give an explanation for the hope that you have. And what are we inviting people to? Well, one, of course, you're inviting people to the gospel, a word that's thrown around a lot. But the word gospel simply means good news. It, the, word, the word evangelist, which you know, I think I'm called to be an evangelist, many some people are, is bringer of good news. You're simply bringing good news. Now, those words have become tainted nowadays with politics and things like that. But at their core belief, it's you're simply bringing good news. This is good news. Gospel, your sins can be forgiven. You can become a new creation in Christ. You can live forever with God. How is that not the best news possible? That is good, good news. And so you're offering that good news to people. So how are we to share it? Well, we're going to look at John chapter 4, where it's called the woman at the well story. And you've probably heard this before if you've been in church a while. It fits with Labor Day, because here's a woman laboring in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. She's avoiding the women of the village, because she's an outcast from the other people socially. And so she's coming to be alone. And, she's, and Jesus offers her rest from her labor. So that applies to this weekend. But more than that, while we hear this, I want you to be thinking of three words that Jesus is doing here as he, as he ministers to her. This is the Son of God. The first person he tells that he is the Christ is this woman, a Samaritan woman in first century Judea. The, the creator of the universe has chosen to tell the world about who he is through this one woman. Now, instead of reading John 4 today, there's a TV show called The Chosen. If you've not watched this, go download their app. It's totally free. And then you can throw it from your phone to your TV and you can watch it. It's not on Netflix or anything like that. But it's been viewed over 260 million times. It's the largest crowd-funded Christian show in history. And it's really, really good. So we're going to watch an extended scene of John chapter 4 of the woman at the well. It sticks very close to the text. But look at these three words. Draw, discuss, and direct. He draws her out with questions. He doesn't give up on her. He has a discussion with her, a dialogue, but he's also very direct, and he doesn't apologize for that, but he does so in love. So let's check this out real quick. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? That's bad, huh? What? What? You a Jew. You a Jew. Ask for a drink for me, a Samaritan. And a woman. And a woman. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I 
should have said please. I should have said please. It's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the cool of the morning? Yeah, well. None of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out in the heat. You have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen? Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I? Aren't I? Unclean to you? Unclean to you? Won't you be defiled? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people. Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah. What do you say? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am. I say if you knew who I am. You'd be asking me for a drink. You'd be asking me for a drink. Really. Really? And I would give you living water. Wood. Wood. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob? Who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks and everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. Will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty. Will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Yes, really. Prove it. Prove it. First. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Ha 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 ha! I see. I see. You're a prophet. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything. I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank Him even if I did. Anywhere, God is spirit. God is spirit, and the time is coming. And the time is coming, and is now here. That it won't matter where. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it. Spirit in spirit, truth and truth. Heart and mind. Heart and mind. That is that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're. It won't matter where you're from. Or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Do you believe what I'm telling you? 
until the Messiah, until comes. The Messiah comes. It explains everything. And sort this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong. You're wrong. When you say that you've never, when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah, you speak this Messiah you speak of. I am he. I am he. The first one was named. The first Ramin. one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity. You were a woman of purity. Was excited to be married. Was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. He hurt you. And it made you question. And it made you question marriage. And even the practice of. And even the practice of your faith. The second, Stop was it. Farzad. the second was Farzad. On your wedding night, on your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. You are the first. It would be good if you believed. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. Do you think it's an accident? Do you think it's an accident that I'm I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. I know. But not by the Messiah. Not by the Messiah. And you know these things. Because you are the because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. Just the heart. You promise. You promise. I promise. I promise. This man. This man. Told me everything I've done. He must be the Christ. He must be the Christ. <laughs> Wait! You forgot your um You forgot your um So now is everybody gonna go watch the chosen now? <laughs> Woo! Maybe tear up a little bit. So that's the longest dialogue recorded in the Bible of Jesus having with another person. It's that important to John when he recorded it. So Jesus shows us not to just separate from the world, but to permeate the world, to go where people are, that Jesus had to go where she was specifically. He sought her out individually. But he, he, he also was quick to build bridges and not burn them. He was quick to make a friend and not an argue, win an argument. You know, and, and that's so important for us to remember to be gentle in how we share and how we speak. So first is draw her at, draw her out. He he didn't he he is tact, right? I mean, tact is really critical. Uh, he didn't say things like, "Hey, sinner, come here." Uh, you know, but no, he said, "Can I can I have a drink of water? Just to have, start having a discussion with you." 
He went, he went, with, he went with humility, not, he wasn't some know-it-all. He didn't use Christian ease, as we say, these churchy words, you know, like, hey, heathen, have you been washed in the blood? Are you part of the body? You know, <laughs> those things had their time and place, but it wouldn't have worked then and there. So don't assume people know your biblical ter- terminology. Nowadays, more than, mo- more than times, more than most, people do not know. When we did the fall festival out here last October and cars would drive through, I was the prophet Daniel. And so I, I felt like a living Disney ride where I gave the same spiel for every car like 97 times. And I, I'm not kidding, at least 40% of the cars where I said, have you ever read the story of Daniel in the Bible? And the children and the people in the cars had no recollection. You could tell, they didn't know. Not a judgment, but you can't assume people know this stuff anymore. They just don't. And so you have to define your terms and speak in a language they can understand. It's, it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue with people. Um, like I said many months ago, I told a story on the college campus. Uh, there was a preacher that would come, as they do on some campuses, and they have their little safe spot. They'll put the, cra- the crazy preacher where he can have free speech. And he stands there, and he had a sign that said, the wages of sin is death, and he was holding it up. And a friend of mine walked up to him and said, yeah, but that's true, but the rest of the Bible, the rest of the verses, you can have eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Could you just like flip the sign, you know, like back and forth maybe so people could see context? And he told us we were going to hell, you know. So that doesn't really work, but, you know, he wasn't there to draw us out. He was just there to yell at people. But, you know, you want to draw people out. You want to listen. You want to ask questions. Don't just wait for your turn to speak. You want to be ready to receive what they're saying and, and, and have a dialogue. So there's discussion, too. Sharing starts with caring. That people can tell whether you're being authentic or not. That if you're not loving them, you're just sort of a clanging symbol. So Jesus needed to go to Samaria. He needed to go to the place where Jewish men, they literally had roads that avoided. They would go out of their way detour to avoid Samaria because it was unclean. They were half-breeds, if you will. And they wouldn't do it. But Jesus needed to go to that place to speak with her. He went to someone different than him. He, he was different from her racially and socially. He went to her. And many times God may call you to someone that you're uncomfortable being around. And but that's maybe God wants to use you in that way. God could even call you to go to your enemies. That takes some faith too, like Jonah in the Old Testament, where God told Jonah, go to the Ninevites, preach repentance to them. What did Jonah say? No. And God said, oh? And we know what happened to Jonah, where he eventually did respond and preach to the people, and they did repent. So what I love about that clip too is that it shows you that Jesus is adapting to his situation. He is, the message is the same, but the, the, the medium is different. He speaks to her differently than he would speak to the rich young ruler who he addressed the idolatry of his life about money. Some people don't have that problem, but that guy did. He speaks differently to Nicodemus when they speak at night and Jesus talks about the spirit and being born again. Nicodemus needed to hear that you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't get that. He doesn't talk like that to the woman at the will. But all those things, he was also direct. He didn't allow her to redirect the conversation towards something else. He kept it on target. He spoke directly, but he did it in love. He spoke truth without fear of offense. And that you can do that. You can speak truth without offending. You can do it in love. 
But sometimes the world might hate you for it, just like it hates Jesus for it. They hated Jesus for it. It's not always our job to make God palatable to unbelievers necessarily, but to love them in the message. And he was direct when he said something like, you're right, you don't have a husband. I mean, but it was in that truth moment for her that the light came on. And because he spoke that to her, she realized, I need to listen to this guy. He knows something. Just because the truth may be perceived to be offensive, it doesn't mean it doesn't come from a heart of love. And I think that's so true today in our world. Just because it, someone may appear to be offense, offended, it doesn't mean you're not loving when you say it. But people today have replaced rationality with emotion. So it's very difficult in postmodern culture because everything is personal, everything is emotional. So you can communicate the gospel, though, in love and authenticity. And we're inviting people to church. I mean, you're inviting them to church. You're inviting them to the gospel. But you're also inviting them to church because it's the church is designed as a body of Christ. I had friends inviting me to church when I was in my early 20s, like I said, and I was like, oh, I don't really want to go. That's insane. And I would go sometimes. Sometimes I wouldn't. But if those guys hadn't pursued me, I would have maybe fallen through the cracks. If you didn't have someone that didn't give up, that kept praying for me, praying, you're praying for. I mean, think of how Ananias in the book, in the, in the book of Acts, God spoke to Ananias and said, go lay hands on this man named Saul, who's blind right now. And uh, I need you to do that. And Saul was like, I mean, Ananias was like, what? Saul kills people like me. I don't think I can do that, God. But because Ananias stepped out in faith, Saul's sight was restored and Saul would become Paul. So because of Ananias, we have a Paul. Or Andrew runs to go tell Peter, come see the meet this man, he's the Christ. Because we have an Andrew, we have a Peter. But because of that faith of stepping out, God could use you to change someone's life. That one invitation has such power. You're inviting people, yes, to church. Church is the mission outpost for a discipleship to occur. This is where it happens. It is through the church that life in Christ is matured and nurtured. You know, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I had a friend who used to say, you know, going to McDonald's doesn't make me a cheeseburger. Parking in a, standing in a garage doesn't make me a car. Standing in church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. But it's a good start. It's a real good start. And some people think, yeah, well, I go on Christmas and Easter. That's probably good enough, right? And I'll work with that. God can work with that. But it will hinder your relationship. Uh, check out this quote from Tony Evans. Did I put it in there? No? Oh, man. Basically, what he's saying is, some people in our world today say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And you're right. You really don't. You can, uh, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's true. Spirit and truth, as the video showed. But it's like marriage. If you, if you don't go home enough, it will hinder your relationship. Right? You can, you're, you're married, but if you don't go home, you'll have some problems. And you can say, you are a Christian outside church, but if you don't come home enough, things could be rocky. And so God needs you to be a part of the body. We're inviting people into that. And my friends, I'll close with this. It's so great to hear that when a sinner repents, that's me and you and anyone else. Jesus says that heaven rejoices when we do that. In Luke 15, it says this. 
In the same way, there is more, more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't straight away. God loves the other 99 too, but there is joy, more joy in heaven when that one person comes home. When the woman at the well came home, there was joy in heaven at that moment. When someone you love, when you and I came home, there was joy on that day in the unseen realm that will yet, we are yet, yet to come. There is joy that Jesus remembered that woman's name. He knew her name and he sought her out. God knows your name. He knows your story. He's seeking you out. The friend that you're praying for, God knows that person. He loves them. He went to the cross for them. He knows their name. God is challenging us to share that same love. At the end of the service, there are a number of these uh, New Testaments back there, and they're called New Believers Bible. It's just a New Testament. These are totally free. If you don't have a Bible, please take one. It's totally free. Or take one and be thinking of someone to give it to. Just to say, here, I want to give this as our gift. I remember when I worked at uh, Lay's Potato Chips before I went to seminary, uh, I had a job in a warehouse, and I was packing trucks with potato chips. I got free chips. It's a pretty good job. There's a guy I worked with. He was a Marine veteran, a really great guy, really smart, really sharp dude. And we had a lot of conversations, and he was not a believer, but he was very philosophical, and he thought a lot about things. And I just took my time, and I, did, and I eventually felt prompted to give him a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And it was a, it's a very uh, data-driven understanding of how you can believe in Jesus. And I gave it my last day there at Frito-Lay. I said, here, I want to give this to you. You know, you never know. Just wait for those openings to scatter seed. 